Well, as um, Lindsay said, we are continuing in John, John's Gospel, and we're at number 12. Somebody was amazed that we're already at week 12 in our series of John. And we call this Faith That Honours God. Now, I just want to take a few moments to talk about um, how this Gospel of John is structured. It's different to Matthew, Mark and Luke. You probably worked that out already. And it was written a lot later than those. John, of course, was a disciple very close to Jesus and um, leant upon his bosom. He had a very close relationship with Jesus. He was at the cross, the only disciple at the cross. The others had fled. And of course, he saw the resurrection. And uh, he had one purpose in mind. He wanted people to know that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing in him, we have eternal life. Uh, that simple message. That the gospel is simple. Uh, and, and so, you know, he wants people to know that so that they come to know Jesus, whom to know is life eternal. And so this book is, is um, divided into two parts. The second part from chapter 12 to chapter 21 to the end. It's all about what we call the Passion Week. Okay, the week leading up to the, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, it focuses a lot on that, what Jesus said to his disciples especially, and how he prepared them for their ministry and, and so on, and the new covenant. But the first half of the book, from chapter 1 to chapter 11, that's um, structured around seven miracles that John chose, because Jesus did many things, many miracles, but he chose seven specifically, um, and... He didn't call them miracles, he called them signs. Okay, so a sign, if you think about that word, the first part of signify is the word sign. A sign signifies something. So it's more than just an incredible supernatural act that Jesus did. There was a message in each one of them, building up to this tremendous gospel of grace. So the first miracle we've already seen that was turning the water into wine. We've just been singing about that. And it's a, a beautiful picture of the grace of God. You, you know the story, we've been through it, we've shared it, that uh, they were at a wedding, they ran out of wine, they had nothing. It was a disaster. So Jesus told them to fill the water pots with water and bring them to him. And, 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 and as, they, as they began to pour, the water was wine. And it's just a work of grace. There's nothing they could do. They had no part in it except to bring the water to Jesus. That's the grace of God. That's salvation. We bring ourselves to him and he makes us a new creation. By trusting in him, we become born again, a new creation. Only God can do that. It's a complete work of grace. Now we're coming this morning to the second miracle or sign that John speaks about. And uh, it's the healing of a nobleman's son. And this illustrates how we receive the grace of God, by faith. Faith that honours God. So that's what we're going to look at. So let's uh, commence at chapter 4, verses 43 to 45. Now, after two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee. So just to recap, of course, last week and the week before, we were looking at Jesus' ministry in Samaria. Okay, where he ministered to the, the woman at the well, a divine appointment, 
and revealed himself as the Messiah. She was absolutely blown away because he showed her everything in her life. He knew all about her, though they'd never met. And she ran into the town and told all the men, come see a man who's told me everything that I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they all came out to see him and, and Jesus ministered to them. The Bible says he stayed two days in that place, ministering to them. So this is where we pick it up. Now, after the two days, the two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee. Now, look at this. We need to explain this. It says, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he, had come to get, when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they had also gone to the feast. Now, what is this referring to, that a, a man is not without honour, except in his own country? Is he talking about where he's just come from, from Judea? No, actually where he's going to, Galilee. This phrase is only used two other times in the Gospels and both times refers to Nazareth of Galilee because that's where Jesus was brought up, right? Um, you know, if that's for me, just tell him I'll call him back. Um, that's where Jesus was brought up. So everyone says, no, we know Jesus. You know, he was brought up here. We know his brothers. We know his sisters. We know his mum, we used to know his dad before he died, and we know the family business, and we know where they live, and, you know, he's not the Messiah, right? He was without that honour in his own country. And the reason he was leaving Judea in a hurry is because he was becoming too popular too soon. Many were starting to think, this is the Messiah. They'd seen all the things that he'd done. They were going to, um, things were going to escalate. He'd be arrested before his time and, and uh, crucified before his time. So he left there knowing that a prophet is not without honor except in his own country where he was going to. He would not be taken prematurely as the Messiah where he was going to. Okay. Now, you might say, but it says the Galileans received him. Yes, they received him. Why did they receive him? Having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast. They received him because of the miracles. They didn't believe in him because of the testimony of the Father that he is the Son of God, the Messiah. There's a big difference. In contrast to the Samaritans who believed without seeing a sign, he did not one miracle there, the Galileans only received him because of the miracles. They were miracle chasers. Okay, we have those today, by the way. Um, the roadshow. <laughs> they follow the miracles around, looking, hoping to see a miracle, hoping to get a prophetic word, hoping to get something supernatural. Miracle junkies, we have them today. They received him as a miracle worker, but did not honor him. This is, we're talking about faith that honors God. They did not honor him as the Son of God on the testimony of the Father and the scriptures. Now we've looked at this in previous sessions that there was a, a sevenfold testimony that Jesus was the Son of God. Amen. And you and I did not believe and get born again because of a miracle. No one has been born again because of a miracle. You cannot be born again by seeing a miracle. The gospel is the power of God under salvation. Amen. The gospel is the only way you can get saved. God has chosen through the foolishness of preaching 
to save us. Amen? That's how I got saved. That's how you got saved. A, a miracle might draw you to hear the gospel. That's different. But you cannot get saved by, by seeing a miracle. There are lots of supernatural things, by the way, in the world. You chase this miracle, then you chase something else another day. But the way to get saved is by believing the testimony of the Father in the Scriptures that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by Him. See, the, the Word of God itself is a miracle. It's supernatural. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It gets right into the heart of a person, supernaturally. It's a seed that brings new life, and God does it. And, and so that's why we love and we cherish the Word of God, because it is the Word of God. Amen. So let's move on here. Jesus said that all should honour the Son just as they honour the Father. He who does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. Maybe you've met people who say, oh, I believe in God, but I don't believe in Jesus, or I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in God. And they think the two are the different. But, but you know, the Father honoured the Son. The Father honoured the Son, gave testimony and witness to the Son. And, and, and if we honour and believe in Jesus, we will believe in the Father. If we honour Jesus, we will honour the Father who sent him. And, and so the two are one in the sense that they work together, of course. The Father bore witness to the Son. These in Galilee did not believe on account of the Father's witness, but received Jesus only on account of his miracles. In fact, if you remember, we'll look at this in a moment. Jesus, when he began his ministry in Nazareth, he took the scriptures and read from the scriptures, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. We're going to look at that scripture in a moment because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and so on. And he announced himself as the Messiah. You know the response of that? They took him outside and they were going to throw him off a cliff. They were going to kill him. They did not honour him on the, on the testimony of the scriptures. They dishonoured the Son and therefore they dishonoured the Father. Jesus said, he who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar. Wow, how serious is that? Because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. So when God speaks to us through his word and we don't believe it, we call him a liar. That's, that's the bottom line. And that's where it all started, wasn't it? Right back in the garden. Has God said to undermine, to challenge the Word of God, to question it, to get a second opinion. That's where it all started. And, and, and that's basically the story of the Bible. Those that believe and trust and obey in the Word of God and those who don't. Just, it's very simple. It comes down to that. And, and in a clever way, people disregard or cancel out the word of God, especially with the traditions of man. Now here's a classic example. In the day of Jesus, there is something that took precedence amongst Bible-believing people, Jews, over the word of God, and that was the tradition of the elders that was lifted above. And, and an example of that is this, that you know the Bible says, honor your mother and your father. It's one of the Ten Commandments, okay? And so, the leaders of the Jews who were hungry for money, who were covetous, 
they wanted people to give money to the temple because they, they pocketed a lot of it. Okay, so they can bring your money and God will bless you. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Anyway, um, so the, the, the people said, but we've got responsibilities to our mother and father to look after them. They're too old to work now and we've got to care for them. And what they said is this, just say to your parents, this money is korban. Korban, it means dedicated to the temple. They can't challenge that because this is for God, you see. For bringing this for God. And so they elevated their tradition above the word of God, which says, honour your mother and father, care for them and so on. Now, this kind of thing is very important because when we honour what the father says about Jesus, we honour the father. They were not. They had received Jesus because they wanted to see more miracles. They said, well, you should see what Jesus did down in Jerusalem. And that's why they received him. Do it here. Do it now. You know, show us another trick. That kind of thing. The Christian faith is built upon miracles. That's true. What miracles? Well, the miracle of the virgin birth. We're coming up to Christmas now, celebrating this wonderful truth of what we call the incarnation. That God, at you know, the Christmas time was manifest in the flesh. God took on humanity. God, Jesus, who is co-equal, co-eternal with the Father, added to his divine nature a human nature just like ours. It's a miracle. And absolutely, we can't understand it. That's why Paul says, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. A miracle. Is this God or is this man? The answer is yes. Both. Amen? A miracle. The resurrection is a miracle. That's the foundation, the bedrock of our faith. Jesus did not rise again. We're, we're still in our sins and our faith is in vain. But Jesus died on the cross. He was in, his body lay in the tomb for three days and three nights. Then God raised him from the dead. Praise God. And our faith is based upon that. Transformed the, the apostles and gave them boldness. They were no longer fearful. They'd seen the resurrected Christ. So the Christian faith is built upon miracles and these are sufficient for us to believe in Christ and the gospel. Jesus didn't stop performing miracles, but he refused to do so on demand. He said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. That's the, we know what that is referring to, the sign of the resurrection. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so Jesus would be in, in the grave for three days and three nights and God would raise him from the dead. That's enough. That's a the great enough, big enough miracle for us to establish our whole lives on that faith. Fact. But someone to continually see miracles to sustain their faith. Friends, the church is overpopulated with people like this. Miracle chasers. They've always got to see something supernatural. You know, they, they love stories about, oh, did you hear this person died and went to heaven and uh, God spoke to him and came back and brought us this report? So what? That doesn't add anything to our faith. We know God is real. We know heaven is real. Amen? We cannot add to our faith. And all, all, all these stories conflict anyway, these people that are supposed to have gone there. People that, you know, want to hear the audible voice of God want to see healings, want to see miracles, chasing after this prophet and that prophet to get a word from the Lord, always chasing something supernatural. Why? Because really, they don't have faith. 
They're an unbelieving generation. When you have faith, you are resting in the Word of God, the testimony of the Father to the Son. And so you don't need these things. If our faith is in these things and not in the testimony of God, it will not hold us in day-to-day -day life. And I've got to say this, friends, I've observed those that are in this category that are always hungry for the supernatural and they're up and down in their Christian life like a yo-yo. There's no stability in their lives. Whereas the word of God will ground you and give you firm foundations. Jesus said, those who do not honour the Father and the Son by faith will eventually leave him. That's what we're going to read when we get to chapter 6. There were people that, that followed him because they saw the miracle of the loaves and the fishes. You remember the multiplication? And, and, and they, they followed him. Do it again, Lord, do it again. You know, like it was a party trick or something. Do it again. We want to see it again. We told our friends. We brought them along. And show us. Show us what you can do again. And, and, and because they got fed by the, the loaves and the fishes. So they wanted to see these things. And Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. In other words, you've missed the point. Do you think it's about loaves and fishes or cake? <laughs> You've missed the point. You've got, to, you've got to so put your faith in Jesus that he's, it's like he's your daily bread. You're, you're feasting upon him. Amen. Feeding upon him. Amen. Amen. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet believe the testimony of the Father. Why? Because it honours God. It honours God. Otherwise we call him a liar. If you get saved through faith, you will be sustained by faith. Grow through faith. You go from faith to faith. The just shall live by faith. That's the Christian life, friends. If you get saved by, because you saw a miracle, you, you know, you, you need to, okay, you need to see another miracle. What do you do for an encore? You saw a miracle. Okay, what's next? That's, that's, the, that's the thing that got me here. You've got to keep doing this, otherwise I won't believe. Now we believe because God says, Amen. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son. For he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, unless you people, said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Okay, let's look at this. A royal official of high standing in the court of Herod. Remember, Herod was the king. Okay, so this man had tremendously high rank. Um, he was called a nobleman. He had a son who was about to die. Interesting, his rank could not help him. You know, he was no more advantaged because he had rank, because he had a high position when his son was healed. You know, we are mortal beings. And, and, and it reminds me of um, a story in the Old Testament of a man called Naaman. You remember Naaman? who was in the Syrian army, he was the commander of the Syrian army, a very famous man, very successful, uh, very triumphant, uh, but he was a leper. 
but he was a leper. You know what that means? Out you go. You, you just get pushed out there into a leper colony and you're cut off from the rest of society. That sickness would bring him down to everyone else's level. He would get no advantages because he was a, a leper. Thank God, you know, God miraculously healed that man. But suffering is no respecter of persons. And this man, as though he's a nobleman, he had a need that he could do nothing about. No one could help him. So he comes to Jesus. He implored Jesus, and the verb indicates a persistent, repeated action. He kept on asking, kept on begging him, come, please, please come and heal my son. His merit did not move Jesus. His misery did. Amen. Jesus is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. We don't have a great high priest who cannot be touched or moved by our circumstances. He is touched and moved by our infirmities and, and, and what we're going through in this life. Jesus looks upon this age with tremendous compassion for the people who are going through suffering and misery, whatever kind it is. Our needs remind us that we were not meant to live independent lives. We're meant to be God-dependent. That's the way we're created. We're meant to need him. Amen. I've been ministering for many years and I can tell you the, the things, the, the people that are most open to ministry, those who have got sickness, those who are in trouble with the law, I've ministered to people in this situation, those who uh, are in financial ruin, facing financial bankruptcy or something like that, those who are going through the breakdown of a marriage, these, these people are, are very open to God. They've come to the end of themselves and they know someone's got to help me. I can't do this myself. Is there someone who can help me? Is there someone greater than I? Yes, he's your creator. You're a creature. He created you. Turn to him. Amen. I found, and I've said this before, that, that uh, the, the, the two most fruitful mission fields are hospitals and prisons. I've been to both and ministered to both. And, and people are way up because they've come to the end of themselves. They realize we're not in control. We are not in control. We need someone. Is there a God? When Jesus, I mentioned this verse before, when Jesus began his ministry, he was invited in Nazareth to come to the, the lectern and, and, and open the, the book and to read from whatever passage he wanted to. He could choose the passage, um, I think from the prophets. And he chose this passage from Isaiah it says, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And then he shut the book and he said, this day, this verse is fulfilled. This day, this verse is fulfilled. And they led him out of the city to, to, to kill him. Amen. That's why Jesus came. Because we can't do it on our own. And here's an example. This man comes to him and says, please, he implores him, begs, please come, come and heal my son. He came from Capernaum which is 30 miles from 
Cana where Jesus was. He travelled all that way. He heard about Jesus and he came and he begged him, please come with me and heal my son. Remember when John the Baptist had second thoughts about whether Jesus was the Messiah and he sent and asked, are you the one? This is what John, Jesus sent back. He said, tell John this, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. That's our Messiah, that's our Saviour. He's come to heal the brokenhearted. He's come to minister to smashed humanity, to put us, put us back together again, to bring us healing and hope and life. Amen. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your son lives. Now look at this. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went away. Now, you remember when, when he first came to him and asked him, Jesus said, you people will not believe unless you see miracles. In other words, here's this man, he's asked him to go down with him to Capernaum. The whole crowd, the whole mob would have gone, hey, we're going to see a miracle, let's go. They were all, all gone, you know, the entourage, the roadshow. But Jesus said, I'm not going to do it your way. Go. That's what he says. The man said, come down. Jesus said, go your way. The NIV says, the man took Jesus at his word and departed. Faith. Faith. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Amen. Some people think that faith is if you believe something hard enough and long enough, you can make it happen. That's not faith. That's presumption. Faith is our response to what God initiates. What God has spoken to us, we respond to that. We say, yes, Lord, I believe, I trust you. In the first sign, John showed that salvation is by grace. Now he shows how we receive God's grace, by faith. We have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Faith receives what grace supplies. God gives us grace, we receive it by faith. faith that kind of faith honours God. It does not call him a liar. God says, I'll do this, I'll do this for you. And we, we believe it and we receive it and we honour God. We honour God by believing his testimony concerning his son. Now, he had no evidence that his son was healed. This is an important thing. You, you see how this plays out in a moment. He had no evidence that his son was healed other than Jesus' word. True faith needs no evidence. It rests in the word of God. He believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. He believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. Wow. The father would have looked at that and said, that's honouring my son. And that's honouring me. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. On that word, he set off home. He that believes shall not make haste. Now, why I say that is this. We're going to see in just a moment that he took a very leisurely walk home. It's only 30 miles. It should take him maybe a few hours, but, but he didn't get there till the next day. He just took his time. 
Now, if he did not believe, he would have rushed home with this in mind, okay? Let's see if this is true. If not, I've got another plan. I've heard there's a, there's a, a doctor in another city. I'll go there. So while, there's, while my son is still alive, I've got plan B. But no, he just took his leisurely stroll home, resting in what God has said. Isn't that what we do in the Christian life? We're just walking along, trusting in what God has said, resting in that. We don't have a plan B. We believe what God has said. Unlike the Galileans, this man honoured God by believing his word. You know, it says that Abraham did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Now, you know, Abraham went through a real wrestle with this, didn't he? It took him a time to get to that place. He took his eyes off the promise a couple of times. You know, he tried to make it happen in his own hands. Then he said, you know, can't, can't, you, you promised me a son. Can't, can't it be the son of my servant Eliezer? Can't, can't you bless him? Because he couldn't see God doing it. But he came to that place eventually where he trusted what God had said. Even to the point where, where God gave him Isaac and then, and then said, now go and offer him up as a sacrifice. And he went in obedience, knowing that, well, God said, he's, you know, through my son, that the promise will come, the promised seed will come, the Messiah will come. So if God kills him, he's got to raise him up. And then there was no example of a resurrection up until that time. Nobody in the Bible had been raised from the dead. But Abraham said, well, God's, all I know is that God said that through my son, through the seed, the promise will come. So it's in God's hands. I will do what God has said, and I, but I will trust God. He honoured God and gave glory to God by trusting in his word. So Jesus now has ministered to a Jew, a Samaritan, and a Gentile. Now, some commentators say he's not very sure that he was a Gentile, but I, I believe he was a Gentile. He was in the court of Herod, uh, this nobleman, and he, he ministered to Nicodemus, then the woman of Samaria, now a Gentile. John's trying to paint a picture here. Jesus is for the world. Jesus loves the world. God so loved the world. Whatever your background is, it doesn't matter to him. He's come to minister to everyone. Okay, if this was a Gentile, there are three or four different cases recorded in the Gospels where Christ healed a Gentile. And in each instance, like this one, he healed from a distance. Now, I think there's a, a lesson in that. There was a reason for this. The Jews were in covenant relationship with God and as such they were nigh to him. The Bible says they were nigh to him. They were near to, to God because they were his covenant people all through the Old Testament. But the Gentiles being at this stage before the new covenant, were aliens far off from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. They were far off. So he healed from a distance. Just, just a picture, okay? I haven't come for the Gentiles. The gospel will go to them. And so he healed those that were far off at that stage. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, Yesterday. See, this was yesterday. At the seventh hour, the fever left there, about one o'clock in the afternoon, that is, okay? 
So he'd gone through all the rest of that day and the next day, and then he saw the servants. That was the, he wasn't rushing home. He was resting. Jesus said it. I'm just resting in that, trusting in that. So the father knew that it was the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. Yesterday at the seventh hour, this meant that the nobleman took his time to return from his meeting with Jesus in Cana back to his home in Capernaum. Hallelujah. When we trust the word of God, we honour him. We honour him. That's faith that honours him. We're living in days when the Bible says that um, people will not endure sound doctrine. They will turn away more and more. People will come to church less and less to hear the word of God preached and taught. They want the tricks. They want the games. They want the shows. They want the supernatural signs and all that sort of stuff. But they will not endure sound doctrine. But friends, when you believe the word of God, and remember, people have died for this word. They've laid down their lives so that we can have the truth of God's word today. And when we put our trust in, the, in, in what God says, that faith honours God. It gives glory to God. Just like Abraham, just like this nobleman, just like the saints of old, it gives glory to God. It honours God. And when you honour what the Father has said about the Son, you honour the Father. You know, um, it's interesting. You know, I talked about how the Jews twisted um, what God had said in the Ten Commandments and made it of no effect by their tradition, that's happening as well today. That's happening in the church of God. People are coming up with strange doctrines. I was talking to somebody uh, this week. In fact, when I came back, or when I went to Africa, I discovered there's new doctrines going around that we don't need to baptise Christians now. And, and it's just a complete denial. I said, well, why do you say that? Oh, no, it was just a, it was just a um, like a a type or a shadow. No, I said the, the shadows were in the Old Testament. This is something Jesus said after the cross. So we're in the new covenant now. He commissioned his disciples, go and make disciples, baptizing them. He told them to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And then we see, we come to the book of Acts, and we find that the apostles did that. It was the practice of the apostles. But now, you know, some man has come up and said, no, 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 we don't need to do that now. It's all symbolic and blah, blah, blah. A new doctrine. If it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. You'll find it, truth has always been taught down through the ages. You'll find that there's no new truth. There might be some rediscovered truth. But if it's never been taught in the, in the history of the church, right the way back to the apostles, if it's new, it's not true. It's strange doctrine, doctrines of men. Amen. And, and so what I'm encouraging you, friends, is just to believe what God the Father has said about Jesus. Now, Jesus said this, he, he that comes to me, like we have done, and put our trust in him, I will in no wise, no wise cast them out. There's no way I will ever send you away, I would ever reject you, no way, under no circumstances. So if somebody says, but what about, no, no, no circumstances. 
doesn't matter what you say, under no circumstances. And yet, if, if we preach that, you preach eternal security, people think you're a her heretic. But you're not. You're honouring what the Father and the Son have said in his word. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing on heaven, nothing in heaven, nothing in principalities or powers, nothing in the past, the present, the future, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And when you believe that and you rest in that and you trust that, you know what you do? You honour the Father. That faith honours the Father. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for your precious word. We thank you for your amazing grace, Lord. You do turn the water into wine. You just ask us, Lord, to respond to your grace through faith, to believe you. And in believing you, Lord, we honour you and give glory to your name. And that's what we want to do, Lord. We want to, as we sang earlier and we prayed earlier, we want to live a life that brings glory to you each day of our lives. We want to bring glory to you and to your name. So, Father, bless this word to our hearts, we pray. Let it take root and bear good fruit in each and every one of us. And everybody said? Amen. 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 Amen.